ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for the dawn of America commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. And tonight, uh, we'll take no prisoners as we storm the world of conspiracy theory, uh, a realm that I've kind of moved away from over the last uh, like 10 years or so because it's gotten so dark and creepy. But thankfully, our guest tonight uh, has not. She has taken an amazing look at the world of uh, conspiracy theories and really conspiracy theorists. That's that's the really interesting part, I think, to me. And uh, she has produced a fantastic book titled Republic of Lies, American Conspiracy Theorists and Their Surprising Rise to Power. Anna Merlin, she writes for Vice website, and she used to write for Jezebel. Uh, and like I said, it's an absolutely fantastic book. As someone who's been mixed up in all this, watching it unfold over the last, like, 15 years, uh, I think she's only been kind of covering this. She kind of got mixed up in this in recent years. She's really did her homework. She got her facts right and uh, had a really piercing look at the world of conspiracy theories that I really, really enjoyed. So, Anna, welcome to the program. I really appreciate you coming on here, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, let's start out with the bio, the background, you know, who is Anna Merlin, and how did you, how did you wind up mixed up with this conspiracy stuff? Right. Um, you know, I started out my journalism career in alternative weeklies. The first place I worked full-time was the Dallas Observer. Um, and, you know, I've always written about, like, alternative movements and subcultures of various kinds, new religious movements. Uh, I'm also from uh, northern New Mexico and from Santa Fe, where there's a lot of, lot of free thinkers of various kinds. Um, so, you know, I had written a little bit about conspiracy stuff, but really the thing that kick-started my book research and my sort of deep interest in the political content of conspiracy theories was um, in 2016 when I went on a cruise for conspiracy theorists called The Conspiracy. Um, and that was really the start of my introduction into a bunch of conspiracy movements I didn't know anything about, like redemption theory. And it was also the point where I started thinking a lot about why uh, so many different kinds of conspiracy theories are so excited about Donald Trump. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. The book is, uh, it gets very, it really kind of unearths a lot of this political stuff that's going on right now. And uh, mm. I have a lot of, let me see where we want to go first with all this. Like I said, uh, <laughs> I, have a, <laughs> I have a million different questions. Well, let me let me sort of get to the one thing that, that kind of popped into my head as I was getting ready to talk to you. Actually, no, let's pop back to this. Talk about what it was like 
Because I had a similar experience to this, like uh, about a month ago, mm-hmm. I went to observe and sort of uh, via osmosis study the flat earthers. So uh-huh. I kind of have an experience with this, but you you took it to uh, an extreme in a sense because you really interacted with a lot of these people. I guess what was it like to get down on the ground and talk to these people who were conspiracy theorists, the fans, if you will, not like not necessarily the the faces of these mm-hmm. movements, but the people, the everyday people who pick this stuff up off the internet and and they become true right. believers. Yeah, so I think it's important to point out that in the U.S., about 50% of us are one in three, depending on which study you look at, believe in at least one conspiracy theory. So it's not like conspiracy theorists are another, they're not a foreign body, they're part of us, you know. We all have a belief that somebody else might consider to be a conspiracy theory. Um, right, right. That being said, you know, a lot of times um, on the conspiracy cruise and in my book research, I was, you know, uh, coming up against people who are in the pretty deep end of the pool, you know, they've really yeah. devoted their ideas, their their lives to ideas that I, um, you know, would consider to be fringe beliefs. And so it was really interesting to see where that had led people. Occasionally it was sad. Occasionally it was inspiring. It really depended on the movement because they're so clearly defined. You know, my experiences with, like, the anti-vaccine community are very different than my experiences with the UFO community. Um, one thing that is interesting, though, is, the extent to which all of these folks, the beliefs that they have really give meaning and purpose and direction to their lives. And they really create communities, sometimes positive communities and sometimes ones that are more negative, but like there's really no doubt that these are, that these are movements that shape how people think about the world. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I was thinking as you were answering that question in a sense, Mm because I find these folks fascinating in a sense, because that, they don't see the world the way I see it. It's kind of right. like fascinating in a sense because they, they think, you know, that alien – a lot of people I talk to, they're less into the conspiracy talked about in your book and more sort of the exotic alien type stuff. But still, it's all right. kind of the same thing. They have these ideas like they're – in their view, there's aliens coming here all the time. That's the world they live in. It's like, wow, sure. this is wild. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, like certainly – you know, my experiences with the alien folks are pretty, like, sort of um, different in tone. I'm sure you've found this than, like, talking to people who think that Sandy Hook was a hoax and the kids who died there didn't really die. You know, like, I find it really easy to have conversations all day with people who, you know, want to think about, like, esoteric belief systems about aliens or the universe or, you know, sort of the secret secrets yet to be revealed to us um, right, right. it's you know obviously more challenging to talk to people who claim that you know dead elementary school kids did not actually die those are very yeah different experiences it's ironic i guess that you sort of hone in on that point because that's kind of where i pivoted off the conspiracy mm-hmm. train i was i got involved in all this like in 2003 so okay i found it fascinating to watch uh i feel like 9-11 is like this amazing petri dish because you can kind of see the birth of a conspiracy theory. Absolutely. And really, uh, your book kind of follows it in the through line. Um, it doesn't necessarily put a point on it, but it's like it's a fascinating conspiracy because you can see it be born, evolve, and then kind of slowly die. Like, because no one cares about 9-11 anymore as far as the conspiracy yeah. world goes. I mean, I think what you found is that a lot of people who believe that it was, you know, an inside job in some way – 
just kind of pivoted to other movements. But I the don't false think flag just, thing, right. Yeah, they never, like, decided that 9-11 wasn't an inside job. I think it just became sort of agreed upon doctrine for a lot of people. And so they were like, okay, well, you know, let's move on to the next thing now. Yes, yes, that's exactly, yeah. That's how I see it, too, right. yeah. It became mm-hmm. canon. It was, part of the, it was part of the story. So they were like, we yeah. we, there's no point in going over this anymore. Now they're, yeah. But once it right. got to... And, like, I, I found it fascinating at that point because it was interesting there, but then it got gross, like you were saying, right. with, this, with, the, with, the, with Sandy Hook, really. That's mm-hmm. what turned me off. And I'm in Boston, so the Boston bombing happened, like, right. three months later. And right. I Which tried to stress yeah, to big the listeners. Oh, mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, You're the guest. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, the the Boston bombing was also obviously the subject of a lot of conspiracy theories, and I imagine you being there, that was really frustrating and probably, you know, angering to hear people claiming, you know, that people hadn't really died. Right, right. And I, and, and I, I don't believe any of the Boston bombing conspiracy theories, and to me right. it was like I tried to explain to people who listen to the show – it changes your perspective when it happens where you are. Yes. Because not only is it like it hits close to home and that kind of stuff, obviously, but you are you see like there's still coverage now every day. Like you know, not every day, but there's still something every once in a while about the Boston bombing. We really do never forget that this happened here. So mm-hmm. to me, it's like what. <laughs> Like, what are you fucking people crazy? Like, this is this is too complicated a conspiracy theory to like pull off. It's not, you know, they're not purposely like keeping this going like this. Like, give me a break. It's also really insensitive because a lot of it relies on saying that people who were maimed or killed or you know lost their child didn't actually suffer any of that. You know, like some yeah. of what I've read about like a person who lost his legs in the bombing on conspiracy sites is really like it's really tough to read. You know the the sort of level of callousness to somebody's suffering um, is is a lot to take. So you're saying that that's the point where you kind of hopped off the train. Yeah, pretty much. I was like, all right, because I, I go ahead. Yeah. What do you think got you on the train? Like, what was your entry point into kind of the conspiracy verse? Oh, I don't even know. I I was really uh, into Jim Mars. He was kind of mm-hmm. like I wouldn't call him a mentor, but a good friend. So he he got yeah. he got me into all this. I read his books and devoured them, and then kind of got more into it. But I was more into UFOs and stuff like that. Sure. And it was just nine eleven was like so big that it loomed over. You couldn't help but sort of get get read up on it. You right. know what I'm saying? In the same way so. that Jim Mars, you know, went from sort of aliens and secret societies to yeah himself being really deeply involved in 9-11, though I guess he was also really into the JFK stuff. Right, right. But by the end, he was deep into sort of like this New World Order-y... Um, he was, yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of like, across the board, sort of like all the different shit you should be worried about kind of thing, which, right. which was cool in a sense. Some of the stuff I agreed with, some of the other stuff I was like, I don't know, you know, I can't necessarily <laughs> get on board with that. But what I... Yeah. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head in a sense. I was thinking about this before we talked. This was the original question I was going to start out with, but since mm-hmm. we talked about sort of the the fans, if you will, of Conspiracy right. World, um, your book is absolutely so refreshing because it provides this incredible perspective from the people who were unwittingly and unwillingly dragged into these conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You really don't see that, definitely don't see that in any any conspiracy literature or anything like that. Mm-hmm. 
It's mm-hmm. always these people that are paid off, they're bought off, or they're they're a part of it, or something like that. But you talk to like Seth Rich's family, you yeah. talk to the folks from Comet Ping Pong, um, you know, you talk to uh, the one of the Sandy Hook parents. So I guess talk about like their experience, you know, like being dragged into these things. Yeah, I mean, you know, so. The the main Sandy Hook dad who I spoke to is Lenny Posner, and Lenny is really interesting. He's been written about a lot because he was sort of a casual Alex Jones listener for a long time. He was into sort of Bigfoot stuff, kind of like the softer end of conspiracy culture. And then when his son Noah died and he started seeing these conspiracy theories about Noah's death, he thought that he could reason with people, basically. He kind of thought, you know, these are my people. And if I express to them, you know, that my son died and that I'm in a great deal of pain, like it, it would have tamped down on the conspiracy theories. And when it didn't, that sort of led him in this different direction. Seth Rich's family is different. They, you know, had no connection to this stuff. Um, and then, you know, I spoke to Seth Rich's brother, Aaron, who talked about, um, it was really like, I think the day after Seth died, a friend of the family looked on Reddit and realized like, oh my God, the thread about his death is turning into a conspiracy thread. Right. It's turning into saying, you know, that he died because he was going to deliver the goods on Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, that he died because he's a whistleblower. And so for them, it was really this kind of insane descent into this really horrible alternative universe where inevitably sooner or later they became the targets of suspicion themselves. You know, you had people like Roger Stone suddenly intimating that the family didn't want to solve his murder and maybe they had been paid off, as you say. And, you know, it got really ugly. Yeah. Um, and it really, uh, you know, Aaron told me that it really took their energy away from grieving Seth to suddenly having to deal with people dishonoring his memory, um, suddenly having to deal with also this sort of flood of fake investigators and fake experts who are offering to help the family, but really had their own kind of ulterior motives. Right, right. So, you know, all these people who become the subject of false flag conspiracy theories or the death of their loved one becomes the subject of conspiracy theories, they end up getting this really horrifying crash course, not only in the conspiracy itself, but also in what it means to be doxxed, to be harassed. You know, um, it is really like a life-altering experience, and it's this very deep secondary trauma for people, you know, people who have already undergone one of the worst things that you can imagine, which is losing a loved one in a violent way, then also have to deal with, you know, years, decades of harassment. Um, yeah. It's really like, it's, it's shameful. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it was heartbreaking. The story of um, uh, like the Sandy Hook dad, who's, you know, the yeah. picture of his kid keeps popping up all over the place in these conspiracy videos and stuff. It's just yeah. like, like I said that, yeah, the Sandy Hook thing was where it really, I was just kind of like, all right, you, this is a bridge too far. Uh, right. Like, and to me, you know, I can entertain a conspiracy theory like that, oh, the government wants to take over, like some general mm-hmm. overarching, you know, they want, they want, you know, like the Snowden thing. Oh, they're spying on us. Obviously they're spying on us, that kind sure. of thing. Yeah, yeah. So to me it was like I can entertain that kind of conspiracy theory, but mm-hmm. these elaborate ones, they just don't add up to me. And as, as we've established and said, you know, they're incredibly, they're getting increasingly incredibly callous. Like, they're yeah. sick. <laughs> and, and and the other part is, um, you know, I don't know how old you are, Anna, but I'm, I turned 40 this year and I had sort of a mm-hmm. reckoning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Many do. Right. And it was like, 
I mean, I kind of had this realization before about this this sort of New World Order stuff, but it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, how long have these people been worried about them taking our guns away? I don't even have guns, but their guns away, you know? Yeah, it's a pretty common one, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's like how – when are you – why do you people keep thinking this is going to happen? Like, (laughs) you know? Well, I mean, I think it's really important to point out that every sort of conspiracy peddler, whether it's somebody like Alex Jones or a more minor figure – they do have to have some kind of ongoing sense of threat to keep their audiences engaged. Right. So there's always this kind of cliffhanger element. And so President Obama was really useful for them because it was always, you know, he's going to take your guns sooner or later, and you just got to stay tuned so we can keep you uh, aware of the latest threat, right? And so right. for the QAnon people, it's always, you know, there is going to be this uh, mass arrest of, you know, all of President Trump's enemies and you just have to stay tuned. There's always this sense that uh, you have to stay listening uh, to, to, you know, to be clued in. And so it is really useful to continue yelling about guns being taken. Like that is just like if if you're trying to keep your audience engaged, you need them to be afraid of something or hoping for something. And I think fear works a little better. Yeah. It's just amazing to me that they keep... That they keep falling for this boogeyman, because to me it's like, mm. you know, this has been going on probably, I don't know, I'm, I imagine a long time. I'd like somebody, I'd like, I'm sure someone has written a book uh, that would figure out how long people have been worried they're going to take away the guns. But it's like, dude, well, fuck up. <laughs> I mean, we know that, like, um, if, you've, if you haven't read it, uh, Jesse Walker's book, United States of Paranoia, yeah. is one of my, it's incredible. He's the books editor at Reason Magazine, and United States of Paranoia is really amazing because it's sort of a survey of conspiracy culture in America from literally, like, the founding of the country on. Mm-hmm. But one thing he talks about, and one thing also that Kathy Olmsted talks about, who wrote this book, Real Enemies, which is my favorite book about conspiracy theories in America. So they both talk about this idea that throughout our history, we've been really afraid of um, conspiracy theories conspiracies from above we've been really afraid that the government or some inter- like sinister force over us is going to um crush dissent is going to institute some kind of like new world order form of control is going to you know put us all in fema camps whatever you call it we've always been afraid of the government and those fears grew as the government got bigger after world war one so the sense of like oh they're going to take our guns away i think it's the latest expression okay yeah. of this fear but it's not like the first time that we've done this you know it's not the first time that we've said uh the government can't be trusted the government is you know evil and the government is going to do something oppressive to us and again yeah. like that is also kind of rooted in fact like the government has done a lot of evil unethical things, you yeah, know, for sure. yeah. crush dissent, but they have not taken our guns away. So, you know. Yeah, they're usually way more subtle about it. And, like, they don't, get caught. They don't get caught until, like, 20, 30 years later or something. And it's yeah, like, exactly. oh, shit, we're really sorry we did this back, like, in the 80s. And we're like, <laughs> it's like, I mean, oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened with the church committee, which was, you know, the Senate committee in 1975 that exposed all of these abuses by the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, the IRS. This is what sort of revealed that the FBI was, you know, trying to secretly terrorize civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., you know, literally trying to get him to commit suicide. Uh, this is this is how we found out about it, is the church committee. And every time this happens, every time, like, some revelation of government malfeasance is exposed, the government or whatever branch of the government has been embarrassed as the same thing, which is, you know, this is unacceptable. It'll never happen again. 
you know, this is not, this is not who we are, but then, then it happens again in yeah. some other form. So you can't blame people for being cynical. Absolutely not. No, for sure. Mm. Um, now I don't know. You, I don't know if you know Aaron Gullius. So he's. Uh, I think he wrote a textbook about conspiracies. Uh, uh, he's working so. on some other stuff. He's a good friend of mine, and he's a deep. Uh, he teaches at a college in Michigan, so he's much like cool. me. He's a conspiracy observer, not <laughs> not a conspiracy theorist, but a fantastic uh-huh. UFO historian as well. But um, we were kind of marveling at this last year when we talked. This sort of through line that. If we follow the 9-11 and then it sort of melded into false flags, these things mm-hmm. were like, this is the government and they're doing terrible things to people, um, you know, and we need to be weary of it. To mm-hmm. what we've seen now, uh, when I messaged you before the show, I'm like, oh, about the QAnon thing, this is kind of where I was going with that, where it's like it's, it's taken a really weird turn and it's also going on in the UFO culture too, which is funny, Yeah. where it's like now the government – now it's kind of like okay, we can trust the government, but only, but only mm. this certain part of the government. They're they're okay. Yeah. They're they're with us, guys. This is this is yeah, you know, it's, it's really strange. weird. Yeah, it's weird to see that in the in the UFO world because like the UFO community for so long has been like a really productive source of conversations about like government secrecy, government transparency, you know, secret of government spending, especially in the Defense Department, you know, and so to suddenly see. Um, the sort of like pro government, like ultra patriot wing of the UFO world is yeah, is real strange. I've I've also noticed that. I mean the thing that I was really engaged with in the UFO world that um is in the book a little bit is this controversy over so called whistleblowers, you know, people who claim to have been part of secret government programs that are oh, now yeah, coming yeah. forward to kind of like reveal reveal what they know, you know, people who claim to have been to the furthest reaches of space and secret government programs and, you know, want to talk about their time as uh, soldiers in the secret space army. I thought that was really interesting because it was so challenging for the UFO community, you know, people who are uh, traditionally really focused on, on proof, you know, on claims that can be like either borne out or falsified. And so it was interesting to see, this new group of, I think they're all men, kind of getting um, getting famous and getting a following for claims that, like, absolutely cannot be proven. Yeah, it's interesting. There's, it bears noting, I guess, like, because mm. I know the people, I know a lot of, like, the people in UFO world who are sort of like, let's call them content producers, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, personalities yeah. in yeah. the UFO, so not fans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's anything wrong with fans, but, you know. Um, sure. and, and the, and the funny part is, and this kind of goes in a sense to conspiracy in a lot of ways too, like the people who are quote unquote, like serious about this stuff, or at least, you know, open-minded enough to be skeptical. Uh-huh. We all, we all see these people as like dopes, like the huh. whistleblowers. So it's just kind of funny where it's like the, the, if anything, there's a, an uncomfortableness because they're taking a piece of the spotlight away from the traditionalist UFO people and no right. one and no one believes no one believes the story it's too good to be true but it but it resonates with the fans so it's a very yeah, weird sort of dichotomy there well and it's bringing in this sort of new contingent into the UFO community i mean it's also worth noting that like some of the websites who promote the whistleblower's claims like exopolitics are also um promote qanon ideas right you know so uh, there's this weird kind of overlap between 
the two worlds that is kind of unexpected. But yeah, I mean, the year that I went to the MUFON convention was the year that the focus was totally on whistleblowers. And so there was a ton of frustration on the part of people like Richard Dolan, you know, right. people who are more old school UFO guys being like, this is, you know, uh, they, they were either saying that they didn't think it was true or were sort of more actively accusing people like Corey Good and other whistleblowers of being like plants. You know, of being yeah. provocateurs, which I thought was an interesting, <laughs> an interesting twist. Well, what scares me, in a sense, not necessarily about the UFO community, mm-hmm. but more so uh, the the sort of the more hardline conspiracy advocates, yeah. if you will. It was kind of what I was talking about, in a sense, where it was like with nine eleven and the false flag thing. It was like there's bad guys in the government. We need to expose them, right? Now mm-hmm. it's like. Now it's like there seems to be a way more militant edge to this with the QAnon yeah. stuff where it's no longer like we need to expose the bad guys in the government. Now it's like we're going to team up with the government <laughs> to persecute, to find you know, these villainous, quote-unquote, people. And it's like that kind of creeps me out. That creeps me out a lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> actually. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth paying attention to that the ultimate sort of goal and promise of QAnon is not just, like, that the evildoers will be, like, rooted out and exposed and whatever. It's that they will be mass arrested, sent to Guantanamo, and if I understand correctly, like, ultimately executed, you know? So it's a really intense demonization of people. Like, it's not just about transparency. It's not just about freedom of information. It's not just about the truth coming to light. It is about sort of mass violent justice, which, yeah, also also makes me uneasy. Yeah, and it's pretty unique to to a lot of this. Like, I don't yeah. even, you know, when the 9-11 thing came up, there weren't people like, oh, we need to, like, execute the people behind this or whatever. It was just, it didn't mm-hmm. even didn't even cross their minds or something. I don't know. <laughs> you or, know? If it, or if that came up, if people were saying that it wasn't a large group of people, it is a really central facet of... QAnon, right, that right. folks are going to face, you know, face justice. So, yeah, um, I, I, I wonder about that a lot, especially, you know, the, I think the one sort of um, saving grace is that pretty frequently Q's, you know, Q's so-called drop, the, the posts that Q makes are not super legible. They're just kind of mysterious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is good because when they do focus on individual people, those people get sort of deluged in threats, insults, uh, you know, various forms of harassment. So, but most of the time, those people are like people who work for the government. Like today, or the more recent one was focused on Congressman Adam Schiff. Yeah. Um, and it, it was like Q posted a photo from Adam Schiff's Facebook page of Adam Schiff and his son, and his son was wearing a T-shirt for Mossad, the Israeli intelligence agency. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't worry so much about Adam Schiff. I think he's probably fine. I think he probably has good security, but I do worry about his son right. being the focus of Q folks, and I hope that is not happening. Yeah, it's creepy. It's, it's you know, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not in the I'm not in the necessarily like the target audience targeted by Q, by Q, but I, uh-huh. you know, it's a short leap, I guess you could say. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a very liberal individual who just wants everyone to be free and happy and whatever. And it's like uh-huh. I don't <laughs> I don't need all that I don't need all that hate coming down, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's also like people's people's belief systems can be 
shaped by hate in the same way that they can be shaped by, you know, other more positive common beliefs. Like people can be brought together by hate in a way that can be really uh, disturbing to see. And so it's something I think about a lot, that conspiracy communities can be really positive forces on people's lives and they can also be really negative forces on people's lives. And they can, uh, one thing I talk about a lot is that I feel like some conspiracy communities really isolate their followers from their actual families, their actual actual IRL communities. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you see this a lot where you get so far into the deep waters of whatever your belief system is that you become, you know, you have a hard time communicating with people around you. Like cute folks talk about this a lot. And I don't know if they necessarily realize sort of the pathos of what they're saying, but they talk about having trouble communicating with their friends and their loved ones and their spouses about this thing that is so important to them, you know, and having trouble like connecting with people in their lives because the people in their lives aren't engaged in, the cute stuff the way that they are. Right, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. I, I remember, yeah, if you look, I bet you it'll happen again in like two weeks, but uh, around Thanksgiving, I think Travis View, he does a great job keeping track of yeah, all these. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he was retweeting a bunch of people that were like, I stormed into my Thanksgiving dinner and told them this, that, and the other thing, and they thought yeah. I was great. Yeah, it was like, oh, it's Jesus, dude. Sad. I mean, Mac Lamoureux, who I work with, he works at Vice Canada, um, did this amazing feature a while ago that was just people talking about essentially having lost their loved ones to QAnon and what that was like for them. But again, like this is an extension of a more sort of mainstream phenomenon, which is people getting so deeply enmeshed, especially in like far right political views that they can't communicate with their family anymore. Like we do see this with really intense Fox News viewers, like this is a thing that happens where it shapes your worldview in a way that makes it hard for you to communicate with other people. Like I, I will not deny that this also happens on the left, but I think it is certainly more of a visible feature for folks on the right. Yeah, well, that was kind of that, – that's an interesting situation. I've been lamenting mm-hmm. this on the show uh, mm-hmm. for a while now, actually, that like ever since – Trump got elected. I think I've driven mm-hmm. off all the Trump fans anyway over the years. Uh, who I listened, would imagine so. you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, but some still hang around. They tolerate my anti-Trump stance. But mm-hmm. since Trump got elected, it 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 seems it the it seems like the world or the country has just turned into this like divide over over two different conspiracy theories essentially. Like yeah. either the the Russians to help get elected. Or right. this is all a big hoax. And to yeah. me, that's like troubling and fascinating that the the, the world – like no, we don't have a shared worldview anymore. It's really bizarre. Right. Yeah, I, I wrote about this in the book that the sort of deep, deep state conspiracy theories and the Russiagate conspiracy theories are these mirrors of each other. Um, you know, and this focus on Trump as a Manchurian candidate, a Putin puppet is just as much of a conspiracy theory as the deep state is, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think together, like, they are contributing to this environment of, yeah, as you say, kind of not having a shared set of facts that we can agree on, that we can work from, you know, and I see this all the time. I see it um, in the anti-vaccine world, but just not being able to agree on a shared sense of, <laughs> of, of what science is, of, you know, of what, like, sort of uh, credible scientific studies look like, Yeah. for instance, you know, and this is something that's because we have such kind of atomized um, social communities, you know, like you can, you can get by your whole life not looking at news that would challenge your belief system. Right. You know, right. like I'm, I'm a, I'm a journalist and I am like 
sort of self-evidently a pretty liberal person, but that doesn't mean that I'm not able to challenge my beliefs or criticize people or, you know, quote unquote, my side of the aisle or whatever that might be. But I do see increasingly that people are kind of not able to do that, that people pick a team and, you know, will not hear any criticism of their team. And that's, that, like, that's not good. That's, that's not a place that we can do a lot from. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the Internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? Uh, at the risk of being, like, alarmist, like, mm. how, how do you think this even can resolve itself? Because both sides seem so... Dug in. Entrenched. And, and now it's like, even you know, we get this this crazy impeachment thing we got this election coming up like it's coming to a head it seems so right it's I'm, yeah i'm more frightened than i've been at most times doing this show i guess you could say i mean i guess i feel like this is sort of a natural extension of something that's been happening for a really long time and i don't really know that there is a way back from it at this point uh one thing that i think we could really focus on maybe for future generations is education and doing a really, really good job funding our education systems, um, trying to make it so that things like uh, media literacy are a big part of what you need to graduate high school so that people are at least able to evaluate sources of information in a more dispassionate way so they can at least, like, if you're going to have, if you're going to have a belief, maybe at least you can make sure that you have done sort of adequate research to back it up. But even as I say that, you know, I talk to people every single day who have fringe beliefs that I, you know, know to be false, for instance, about vaccines, who will tell me that they've done their own research and, you know, this is the conclusion they came to. So, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think this sort of division over what is real and knowable and true is, like, probably the biggest sort of crisis facing us as a country. And, yeah, I don't, I don't really know if there is anything we can do about it. Yeah. Well, the crazy part is it's like, I mean, you have you have a, a fair amount of influence. You're a pretty mainstream mm-hmm. journalist. I, I have a medium amount of influence. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, we I mean, can kind of try and speak out and change things. But, but generally, we're kind of just along for the ride. So it's, you know, that's, the, mean, that's the other part of it, too. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I try to do is, you know, like, I have a viewpoint, and I try to, in my work, I try to show my work. I try to show how I reach this conclusion or this viewpoint. And I think that one thing that journalists can do anyways to show our work and to talk a lot about what the process of news gathering looks like, how we find information, how we talk to people, right. how we interview people who are not like us, you know, because I think that one thing that is going on is that, you know, uh, President Trump and folks around him are pretty effectively weaponizing distrust um, and even hatred towards the news media. So, you know, one thing we can do but to sort of work against that is to be as transparent as humanly possible and to engage in as much conversation with as many different people as we possibly can and to sort of make ourselves available to have those conversations. You know, because I think one reason why he's able to do that is because there's so much sort of confusion about what reporters do, what our jobs look like. So that's kind of what my focus is on in my like tiny little area of the world, you know, and I spend a lot of time every day talking to people who dislike and distrust reporters or people who are on, you know, the extremely far right side of things. And, you know, every time that I can come away from one of those interviews, like having communicated effectively with somebody who is 
inclined to hate and distrust me, like that is, you know, that is rewarding for me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you put a nice little pin on that one at the end. I, well, I'm I was trying. I was amused in a sense. Uh, something you said kind of made me laugh because it was like you were talking about talking to these people, and I recognized from when I talked to the flat earth people. And I guess I suppose it happens with a lot of these subcultures where it's like they're so deep in it that, that if you come from yeah. the outside to talk to them, they can like overwhelm you with shit that you don't have a fucking response for. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that was what I noticed at the Flat Earth thing, where they'd be like, well, how come this, that, and the other thing? And it's like, dude, I don't know. I'm not an astronomer. How would I, how would yeah, I know absolutely. that? Like, point for That'll me. Up, point for yeah, me. It's like, no, it's yeah. not a point for you. Yeah, because this is their focus. This is their specialty. This is what they do all day. I mean, that would come up with, you know, 9-11 truthers, because they would be making arguments that I would need to be an engineer right. to effectively counter you know, yeah, so that is that is a thing, but having an abundance of bad evidence does not quite equal out to having <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. good evidence. It just doesn't. But, yeah, I mean, the flat earthers are really interesting to me because it is sort of the logical endpoint of questioning everything. You know, you question everything so hard that you just slide right off the cliff. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they're, they are interesting as sort of like a case study, and luckily there aren't a ton of them. I think there, there are more than there used to be in, like, 2015. But, um, you know, like, hopefully that one remains kind of, a, kind of a fringe because, like, honestly, you know, if we, if we can't agree on the shape of the earth, like, I don't know what. Yeah, that's how, yeah, that's how far <laughs> we've really gone. Now, when, did you, when you talk to these folks, because yeah. um, when I hung out with the Flat Earthers, I kind of made a point. I'm like, look. Don't try and sell me on your thing. Right. I'm not going to try and debunk it. Let's just talk uh-huh. about you and how you got involved in all this. So, like, is that sure, kind of yeah. how you approach these folks? Because I can imagine right away when I was talking to them at first, they tried, They all tried to kind of convert me to the flat earth yeah. side. So, in general, like, a thing that I do as a reporter is if I don't agree with you, I will let you know because I think it's dishonest to do otherwise, you know. So, I yeah. would rather have a really uncomfortable conversation in person then, you know, pretend to agree with somebody, go away, write a story that, you know, uh, snipes at them, and then, you know, have them feel like they didn't have an opportunity to really convey to me what they were trying to say because right. I was, you know, nodding along. I also just think that they're responsible. I, I talk about this in the book, but, you know, I went to a white supremacist rally. I'm Jewish. Uh, so to sit there and have people tell me that the Holocaust didn't happen, like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to argue with them about it. Like, I know that that is false. And, you know, it is a, it is a lie that has a... Uh, a reason behind it. You know, it is a lie that is told to promote ethnic cleansing, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I like whatever, whatever the case is, I, you know, do tell people that I don't agree with them with the anti-vaccine community because I'm, uh, I'm 33. And so I constantly get asked if I have children. When I say that I don't, I get asked, you know, if I will vaccinate my kids, when I do have them. And I always say yes. Um, you know, and that obviously leads to these whole side discussions that leads to people being really outraged or leads to people trying to sort of um, win me over personally or yelling at me. Uh, but, like, that's okay. That's, that's part of doing my job. So, no, I don't ever, yeah, go into situations and pretend to agree with people when I don't. Yeah, no, you don't want <laughs> – yeah, yeah, that's usually – that'll turn out badly. At least – at the very least, you get a lot of, like, nasty – you know, you become public enemy of these groups. And what's interesting, too, I found – and uh, this is kind of a connection to the overarching all this conspiracy culture. It's just how I'm amazed because, as I said, I'm old now. So I, I just I don't I'm not like 
tapped into this YouTube thing <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like like these other people are. And that kind of amazed me how how much of this is is uh, percolates on YouTube. It's really yeah. creepy in a sense. Yeah, I mean, these folks have huge followings. I mean, this is the same as, like, you know, all these elements of youth culture where there'll be some fucking 22-year-old, excuse my language, with, you know, like 6 million uh, YouTube followers that all have never heard of. Right. You know? But, yes, um, a lot of it percolates on YouTube. A lot of it is sort of hard to, like, track because it's only on YouTube. Uh, And, it's yeah, it's something to pay attention to. You know, there are people like Nick Fuentes, right, who is, like, a – is a Nazi, is a white supremacist, and again, like had a big, had a big YouTube following, and was able to sort of uh, promote a lot of stuff that way. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So, it's it's crazy. How yeah, it's big a wild that is. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, one thing that's kind of important to point out is that like there is this big discussion right now about what social media platforms are supposed to do and what their responsibilities are right, right, yeah. when it comes to these people. And it's a hard question to answer because really um, YouTube, Facebook, to a lesser extent, Twitter, uh, they have created platforms that are so big that they don't know what's on them. And so they have a really hard time policing them except sort of in a piecemeal kind of way. And at the same time, like it's also like how much – do we want to make social media platforms responsible for policing themselves? Like it's, it, yeah, it's sort of this crazy discussion where it's really, really hard to figure out what we're supposed to do about the sheer amount of misinformation that appears on all these social sites. Yeah. There, I'm sure you saw it. There was an article like a few months ago about some, some like nondescript uh, office space in Arizona where people working for Facebook have to like look at all the shit that gets flagged and like yeah it was on the verge yeah uh, yeah and they're all like going out of their mind essentially looking at murders and child porn and shit all day and it's like holy shit this is (laughs) like the shit we don't see is like even crazier I guess yeah but a lot of those moderators were also radicalized by that content they started believing yeah I noticed that yeah yeah conspiracy theories I mean it just goes to show you that like we are not necessarily set up as human beings to be exposed to like a fire hose of misinformation. And we don't yet know what that does to us. You know, like it's not that you are going to be exposed to one YouTube video or one bad post and, you know, be led down this dark path, but there is probably, it is probably not good to be exposed to a high volume of misinformation all day, every day. Yeah. You know, and certainly the moderators are like, are proof of that. I also like reading that. It's crazy that those people don't get a ton of like mental health support or anything. Like they're viewing some of the most disturbing stuff you can possibly see. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing was a wild article where it was yeah, it's they, extremely yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah. They, they were like turning to drugs and crying in their car and stuff. They got like a fifteen minute. It was like it was like office space, but but yeah, but a nightmarish version. It was wild. It's incredibly horrible. Yeah, I mean, I think about it a lot because you know the few times that I have like stumbled over something really horrible while I'm working, I remember it. Like, I, I could describe every one of those times yeah. that I saw something that was a real, like, trigger point for me. And so, you know, like, I can't imagine what you would have to do psychologically to deal with being exposed to that stuff all day, every day. Yeah, it's like a barrage of it. Um, Absolutely. To move to sort of a comical point, I, I was mm. – there was one, like, sort of minor line in the book that, like, zinged me. It was really funny because he said you were at a Pizzagate rally and – you asked the people how long they've been interested in the conspiracy theory, and then in parentheses you mentioned how 
you've been corrected multiple times that it was yeah. not a that, that happened that actually that happened to be the exact same situation at the uh flat earth thing where the first yeah, question for somebody's like, like how long have you been involved how long have you been following this conspiracy theory and he was like it's not a theory and he's right. like so he's like so mad and like 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 mom close the door it was like that kind of like voice it was so funny but also kind of sad where it was like oh geez dude you bless your I heart mean, yeah, it's never my intention to disrespect people, and so, like, a lot of times I refer to it as a community or movement because, right, that's, yeah. like, that's a term that we can agree on, and then we don't have to get sort of bogged down in, like, whether something is a conspiracy theory or an actual conspiracy, uh, but at the same time, it's always really interesting to me when I'm talking to folks who describe themselves as being part of, like, the truth community or the research community, like, those are two phrases I hear a lot, and I'm like, the, to say that, like, it's predicated on the idea that other people are not part of the truth community. To say that, it's predicated on the idea that only you and the people who believe in your specific things are part of, like, a truth or reality-based world, you know? Mm. So I, I always find those terms really uh, revealing. Yeah, that's true. I noticed especially, too, uh, it's interesting how language comes up in a sense where it was like yeah. before – I have sort of a brief and nascent sort of idea of like before 9-11, but 9-11 was kind of like happened just before I got into this. And it was like, right. even then, I guess the point I'm trying to make is this truther thing, the expression mm-hmm. truther, that's like new mm-hmm. relatively. I mean, I'm sure it's probably been used at different times maybe in the past, but like now it's part of the lexicon in a way that it wasn't before. It's really kind of remarkable. It's almost a parody in a sense where it's like if someone, yeah. you know, someone's a Beyonce truther or whatever, something like that. Right, yeah, and the other thing, the other phrase that I think people have made use of a lot is from the Colbert Report, but the idea of truthiness, you know, yeah. something that is has the, you know, feel of truth to its followers without actually being true. I think these concepts are really interesting. It's the same reason why we got completely obsessed with the phrase alternative facts as soon as Kellyanne Conway said it. Right. You know, it's just is the same sense of, like, uh, the idea that we all know to be bullshit, that there can be multiple competing truths, like that is not always the case. Sometimes some things are just objectively true. And so, yeah, when we start challenging that notion, there's kind of no uh, no clear end in sight. Now, I was delighted uh, about the book because it spends a pretty good amount of time now, remember, I said earlier about how, like, people who are in this field, who are, like, mm-hmm. you know, part of this field, we know a lot of these people are dopes, and we don't really like a lot of them. So I was delighted by by what I would call, like, the best and extensive coverage of Sean David Morton, um, mm-hmm. resi- resident clown of the paranormal, in the okay. book. And and so uh. talk, talk a little bit, talk a little bit about FDM, as he's called you know, right. by so by the community, if you will. I just want to be clear that I'm not calling Sean David Morton a clown. I wouldn't mock him. I think that his story, his and Melissa's story, is actually really sad. Oh, um, because he's a conspiracy peddler and he's his own best customer, and it has led him to a really dark place. He is in prison. So uh, basically, for the uninitiated, Sean David Morton is both sort of a UFO guy and also a redemption theory guy. He's involved. He was involved in these sort of very complex financial conspiracy theories, and those are ultimately what sent him to prison. You know, I write about this in the book that he could have been totally fine if he was just kind of a new age um, researcher, as he would call it, uh, somebody who was focused on Area 51. Right, right. Instead, he started getting really involved in 
redemption theory, which is broadly the idea that through these kind of abstruse secret legal maneuvers, you can either get money back from the government that is, you know, kept in a secret bank account for you, or you can avoid paying federal taxes. You can, you can essentially get out of being a federal citizen. It obviously shares a lot of DNA with the sovereign citizen movement. And again, Sean would say that he is not a sovereign citizen and he would probably not describe himself as a redemption theorist. I don't know what he would call himself anymore. But um, so he and his wife, Melissa, were ultimately brought up on tax fraud charges and they were facing uh, 600 years in prison apiece um, at the time that they went to trial. So I sat in on their trial, which is a completely hallucinatory experience. And ultimately um, they were sentenced to, I think Sean got less than five years and Melissa got like two uh, and they both have to pay thousands of dollars in restitution to the government. But yeah, um, I spent a lot of time with Sean. He was on the conspiracy cruise. Uh, you know, I've interviewed him at a new age conference called conscious life. And he's a really interesting person because I, he's a, he is a, he's a true believer. And he's also somebody who clearly sort of self-evidently wanted to make money off of peddling his beliefs to other people. You know, he promised, um, a woman that his redemption theory maneuvers would keep her from losing her home. Uh, you know, he promised, or, you know, redemption theorists in general have promised to get people out of jail using these maneuvers. Like it is, uh, you know, these are people who intervene in really serious life situations and take people's money yeah. and, you know, promise to get something, get something back to them that they do not get back to them. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. And I guess I almost kind of in an admirable way, I guess, I'm kind of surprised at how sympathetic you are to, to it. Maybe I'm just from the bubble of having heard of – having sort of seen this guy around for like yeah. so long where it's cause, – because, you know, all – a lot of the people, like you cite UFO Watchdog in the thing. He was yeah. – he's like, he's like Sean David Morton's like uh, nemesis. So, yeah, totally. Yes. You know, I, mean, I would say that I am I am sympathetic to Sean and Melissa kind of in spite of myself. Um I have heard Sean say incredibly racist and Islamophobic things. Um, like he is a person with really objectionable views, especially around uh race and religion. Like that's that's not really wow. disputable. Um and I feel really bad for Melissa who is somebody who was, you know, in her again, this is my read. She mm -hmm. did not want me to interview her, so I'm not, like, saying that I know anything about her state of mind, but this is somebody who, um, in her desire to be a good wife and a good partner, got, like, brought into something that sent her to prison. Yeah. Um, you know, at the same time, like, Sean is such a colorful figure. He claims to be able to, I think, um, cure various ailments with touch. <laughs> like, I've been around when people ask him to fix their, like, back problems. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's somebody who tells these really wild-ass stories about Area 51. Um, he's a very sort of colorful figure, and I wrote in the book that I, when I look at him, I sort of lower my blood pressure by thinking about him as a long, part of a long tradition of sort of hucksters and flim-flam men and sort of um, new age spiritual seekers turned peddlers of various things. Like he is a, you just, so he you kind a, of, God. yeah, he is a colorful figure. And so I, um, you know, I engage with him in that context. He also, uh, it is worth saying is a person who, despite thinking probably that I am, you know, fake news and a bad person and whatever, uh, you know, will have conversations with me about his beliefs uh, without 
getting super um, without getting super offensive or insulting. So you know, points to him for that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. But no, I certainly am not like sympathetic to his beliefs, and I think that he has um, created a lot of heartache for a lot of people, not least of all his wife. Yeah, you kind of see maybe not to put words in your mouth or thoughts in your head, but maybe he got out over his skis a little bit too much. Almost. Oh yeah, I mean, unquestionably he did, and it's worth noting that you know the 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 particular tax maneuver he tried and redemption theory maneuvers in general, like the IRS has said, do not do these. We will put you in jail. Like these are right. not like new tactics that he you know pioneered. They are things that had already sent his sort of um, mentor, this guy Brandon Adams, to jail before he went to trial. Like, it was a really, really, really bad idea. Yeah, uh, And yeah. it was sort of shocking to me to sit. I, I was sitting with him the moment before he was convicted. We were sitting outside in the hallway of the courthouse in Los Angeles, and I could see him, like, at that moment realizing that he was in trouble. Like, I think his beliefs in himself and his maneuvers had sort of shielded him yeah, from the yeah. reality of the situation for pretty much the whole trial and really, I, I believe that I saw him at the moment that he realized that it was not going to work and that he was going to go to prison. Like, he was pale. He was short of breath. He was, you know, he was he was really having a hard time. Yeah. So it, it's like just as, a, as one human being to another, watching him and Melissa sort of realize what they had gotten themselves into was, yeah, it was very sad. But no, at the I same can understand time, like, they, they got other people into it, too. Yeah. You know, they created further financial issues for people who are already desperate, and that is unacceptable. I totally understand, yeah. I think, just to, just to <laughs> clarify, I think partially when I call him someone of a, when I call him a clown, it's it, it, the whole part about, like, going on the lamb is really what, <laughs> really what put <laughs> the red on nose the on him for me. It was like, this dude is a walking, talking, like, Coen Brothers movie. This is absolutely yeah. insane. He did. Uh, he did go on the lamb, and then he and Melissa <laughs> were ultimately caught because they, they wanted were to see the eclipse. the eclipse. Yeah, I mean, God bless them. But um, they, uh, that did not work out so well for him. That was again not a good plan. When the government tells you to report to jail, you really, you really have to do it. Like they're really not joking around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm, yeah. So now, what do you? Uh, what do you have planned next? This is kind of, I know you uh, you got a hard out at 10, so we got to head towards the finish line here. Now, what do you have next? I asked, I had Sarah Scholes. I don't know if you know Sarah Scholes, and she's got a great book, kind of in the vein of what you wrote, um, just about UFO World. Um, oh, no, I, I would love to read it. I will find it as soon as we are uh, off the phone. I'll look it up. It's coming out in March, but if you go to her uh, if you go to her Facebook page or her Twitter awesome. page, you'll see I'll find the it. thing. But, yeah, so, she's... Well, I was just going to ask you, uh, the, the question I had for her mm-hmm. is, and I, I feel like you're kind of, the, the, the UFO thing is not is kind of a smear in a sense. I'm like, are you afraid of becoming like the UFO lady of the mainstream? Well, so are you afraid of becoming the conspiracy lady of the mainstream, if you will? I mean, I... <laughs> or are you I already stuck like, with that tag? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, there, there are worse things to be. Um, the, you know, the other aspect of my job is that I write a lot about sexual violence and violence against women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes conspiracy culture can feel like a break from things that are even darker and harder. Um, and sometimes it can feel like a window into this madness that is engulfing all of us. And I'm never quite sure which is which. Um, so, you know, I think like broadly in the future, I am really 
I'm really interested in people who believe in alternative ways of being in the world and how they get there, you know? So like, yeah. I'm always thinking about conspiracy culture from that lens. It's like, how do your beliefs form and where do they take you? So, you know, I'm writing about the anti-vaccine community in ongoing ways. I'll probably go to Conscious Life again, which is this sort of new age uh, expo that happens every year in LA that is also like kind of a hub of a lot of conspiracy stuff. I'm really interested in sort of the resurgence of various like bogus medical claims that are kind of coming back up. Yeah. So, you know, but like the thing that most journalists are going to be really focused on and that I'm also going to be paying attention to is the role that misinformation and disinformation and conspiracy theories play in the 2020 elections. Cause I think right. it's going to be obviously a huge feature and I'm real interested to see where it goes. And I hope it is not as bad as I think it's going to be. Yeah. I think uh, for anybody listening, you know, UFO fans, Bigfoot fans, ghost fans, whatever, <laughs> like we're all going to, this happened in 2016, happened after 9-11. Uh, everything's going to go on pause, like starting, you know, a few weeks after the start of the year. And yeah. we're going to be just inundated. This is, the year's going to be all about the election pretty much. You know, yeah, any weird disasters that right. pop up. So, yeah, we'll yeah. see what happens. Uh, now, Absolutely. where should we send folks to find out more uh, from you? You didn't have a uh, website posted uh, in the book that I could see. Maybe you have it. Oh, the, no, I didn't. Book. Yeah. Um, so my personal website is AnnaMerlin.net. Most of my writing is at Vice. Um, and the best way to kind of keep track of me if you really want to is on Twitter because I'll post everything that I'm doing there and a lot of you know boring stuff besides so um yeah but you know i really appreciate the work you do and i really appreciate you having me on yeah i appreciate you coming on the show you were way more excited than you had any right to be (laughs) (laughs) i don't i kept thinking to myself i'm like does she know this isn't coast to coast like, I, I was mean, afraid that you, I did love that you thought you were going to be on Coast to Coast. <laughs> I have a deep fondness for Coast to Coast, but I love talking to folks about this stuff and people who are kind of in this world. It is refreshing for me because most of the time I am on, you know, kind of like mainstream uh, uh, news outlets of various kinds, like doing very basic explainers. So it's kind of fun to be able to get into the uh, the weeds a little bit. Well, I enjoyed it, and if you ever need, you know, if you ever want to talk or anything offline or whatever, shoot me a line on Twitter, you know, if you need insight on some of these crazy characters. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. I've encountered most of them. I've spoken <laughs> to too many of I them, you and, have. you know, <laughs> some of them are my friends. So, you know, it's uh, it's quite the world, and uh, I look forward to seeing uh, what you have next. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very much, Anna. Thanks. Bye-bye. Have a good night. You too. There you go, folks. That was Anna Merlin. The book is Republic of Lies, American Conspiracy Theorists and Their Surprising Rise to Power. I almost feel like, because we just riffed it in All-of-America style, I almost feel like we didn't necessarily do justice to some of the other stuff that's in the book because there's a whole bunch in there on uh, medical conspiracies and all the anti-vax stuff. Um, there's, uh, as she said, the redemption movements in there. There's a bunch on the white nationalists. There's a whole fascinating paragraph I think the all of America uh, listeners would love about uh, UFOs and UFO world. Um, I figured since we've covered UFOs to death on the show, we wouldn't get into that and we just dig right into conspiracies. But all that stuff is in the book, including also Pizzagate, a whole thing on Pizzagate and some stuff on QAnon, essentially like an explainer, if you will, that kind of catches people up to date on QAnon. So I would highly recommend the book to folks who are like me, in a sense, who excuse me, kind of dropped out of the conspiracy world in a sense and 
don't really find it kind of distasteful over the last few years. Uh, you know, she's done the yeoman's work and dug into these unsettling communities and, and, and kind of gotten an idea of what they're all about and where they stand right now. So I would highly recommend the book. And on that note, uh, Anna only could do an hour, and I'm not going to, you know, jibber-jabber here. <laughs> Jim Lydica, short show. I know. Well, Anna could only do an hour, so it's all good. Um, after last week's debacle with the open lines, uh, I will not be opening up the phone lines. We'll wrap it up early this week. Um, I have to get that Hellier after party out to people anyway. That's not even on the podcast feed. But by the time you're listening to this, uh, the Hell Year After Party will already have been posted, and you'll have already listened to Anna Merlin, and you're going to be saying, what's next? What's next, Banal? So uh, next week on the show, I need to solidify the date and time with my guests, but I'm hoping and thinking that it will be next Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Uh, it will be an episode that I've been both looking forward to for quite some time and also dreading um, – for the last few months, it will be, uh, much to my profound sadness, it will be the 15th and final BOA Audio Holiday Special featuring Stanton Friedman. Um, I'm already getting choked up, uh, and, that, and, I'm not, and I'm not playing here, folks. It, uh, this is going to be such a difficult show to do, um, but I, I'm getting some friends of Stan. On the show, uh, well, I guess I'll just, like, spill the beans here because they already committed to doing the show. And and uh, so I'm going to have a special show uh, where we celebrate Stan and say goodbye to Stan uh, with Paul Kimball, uh, Stan's nephew and friend uh, and, and UFO pundit in his own right, uh, tremendous UFO pundit, and, and Aaron Goulias, uh UFO historian extraordinaire, uh, they're going to be joining me. We're going to talk about the life and the legacy of Stan Friedman. And we're going to play some clips uh, from from all the holiday specials. Uh, well, not all of them. There's been 14 of them. So we'll, we'll play the, the, the greatest hits, the, 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 the Friedmanisms that you know and love, the rules for debunkers and silly effort to investigate, and, and, and you know, the best, the best stuff from Friedman um, – from over the years, and uh, just talking about it, I'm already, I'm already getting choked up and sad about it. And it's funny, I was going to the store today, and I've been thinking this over the last few days. It kind of dawned on me tonight. Uh, like you know, it just doesn't feel like the holidays this year, man. It just doesn't feel like the holidays, and it kind of dawned on me. It's like, well, you know, it's the first time in 15 years that I haven't talked to Stan Friedman. It's the first time in that long since since uh, we, we we did this show and as I always joked with him that was kind of my unofficial kickoff to the holiday season and it was always like you know this time of year a little earlier first first few days of December I would call Stan I'd say hey you know let's do it again brother uh, you know here are the dates whatever we'd set it up and so it's like really it really kind of wild and it didn't dawn on me till tonight it's like well that that's different this year that's <laughs> That's that's a change of pace. So uh, next week, as I said, it's an episode uh, I'm not looking forward to in a sense because I already feel so vulnerable even talking about this now. I can only imagine what it'll be like when we do the show. 
but it, it's something I want to do. It's something I want to do, and it's something uh, that I knew we had to do um, when we lost Dan earlier this year. So that should be next Tuesday night, December 17th. I have to confirm uh, with Paul and Aaron. Um, so stay tuned. But if I was a betting man, I'd say it would be next Tuesday night at 9. And on that note, jeez, I need to, <laughs> I need a cigarette. Uh, on that note, I want to thank you all for listening tonight. I want to thank Anna Merlin for coming on the show and talking about Republic of Lies. Pick it up, folks. Buy it for yourself for Christmas. Stick it in with your gifts. Be like, oh, who got me this? I appreciate it. Uh, I think you really, really, really enjoy it. And on that note, until next time, this is Tim Vidal thanking you for listening 